0: Good morning, church family. May that be our prayer as we come to His Word. We need Him. Uh, We need Him as we come that we may have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word or turn it on, however you have it in your lap, to the book of Romans. And we're going to continue our study through the book of Romans as we come to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, we're focusing on the hope of the glory of God. And this explanation that Paul is going to give us here in this great chapter really is the culmination of what he began all the way back in Romans 5. And There, Paul reminds us in those opening verses that it is through Christ that we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And he says this, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And this hope, Paul says, is a hope that will not put us to shame. It's not a hope that's going to disappoint. Maybe you've hoped for things that have left you disappointed. Things that you thought were going to happen but didn't. Frankly, I was hoping for a little bit more snow. I was disappointed. But this hope isn't going to disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And last Sunday, as we looked at the opening verses of of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, we explored the great gift that God has given us in bestowing His Spirit. God the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. By having His indwelling Spirit, we're able to walk in newness of life. We're able to have victory over our sin. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, we saw at the end in verses 16 and 17. Bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, if we're God's children, then we are heirs Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. In other words, we're children and we are going to inherit all that is God's. In fact, he says we're going to inherit God himself. We're going to behold him. We're going to experience him. We're going to have all that is his. And we know even from being young children that the whole world is in his hands, right? But as we concluded last Sunday, we noticed that this promise that the Spirit testifies is ours is conditioned upon something. Look at the end of verse 17. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Just as Jesus' path to glory went through the cross Just as Jesus' path of exaltation came through suffering, so too all those who belong to Him, all those who have the Spirit of Christ, who belong to Him, that will be their path as well. And this is really nothing different than what Jesus had taught His disciples when He said, Whoever wishes to be My disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. It's just another way to say, Suffer with Me and you will be glorified with Me. That suffering is going to look in various ways, but one way it's going to look like is you have to deny yourself, and most of us, that's difficult, right? Probably better to say all of us, that is difficult. And so this is why Paul opens up this section, which has been really from chapters 5 through 8, he's been talking about the hope that is ours in Christ, because we have been made right with God, we have a hope that, that surpasses all understanding, But he says in chapter 5, verse 3, that in light of this hope, we now rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in them. We, We count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How can he say that? Why would we want to rejoice in our sufferings? Well, what we're going to find out this morning is that our sufferings have a purpose. They're not aimless. They're they're not just suffering for suffering's sake. But we as Christians understand that our suffering is contributing to our hope. Our suffering is producing in us a hope. It's preparing us for glory. And this glory, this hope will not put us to shame. Well, what suffering is he talking about here? Well, certainly the trouble of this life, right? Right? And I know many of you. I know those of you who are members of this church, and, and some of you who've been visiting for some time, and I, and I hear, I hear the struggles that you go through, that we go through. Some of you are, are struggling to meet your own needs and your family, finances are tight. It seems like the more you try to work, the less that paycheck seems to, to provide. Or, or sometimes you find that you're, you're, you're working and, and they just don't need you that many hours. And, then, and so they cut back to your hours. And you're wondering, Lord, where, where am I going to find the income that's needed? Maybe you're experiencing the pain of broken relationships. Pain of that causes. I mean, isn't that sometimes the worst pain? pain of where you had a sweet relationship that for some reason is now fractured. It's broken. Maybe you're suffering the agony of loneliness. Maybe you're single and you're desiring a spouse. Maybe you're widowed and you desire your spouse. Maybe you're just longing for a friend and you say to yourself, Lord, why am I so alone. And then there's just the constant health ailments. Think of various brothers and sisters in our church who are, whether it's due to old age and just your, your health is failing you, or you're younger and, you're, and you're, you're battling cancer, or you have health ailments that you just don't even know and the doctors aren't able to explain what is going on with you and they, they're bringing great trouble to your life. And as you could tell from Pastor Mike's prayer, this week we we've had numerous deaths related to many of our family members. 3 this week, all I think pretty much on the same day. So we know that death is a great reality. But all these things, they, these aren't necessarily unique to Christians, are they? They they're suffering that marks this whole world. But there are also as unique suffering for us as Christians. And that is the suffering that comes from battling our sin, battling temptation. Yes, as we saw last Sunday, the Spirit, verse 13, has been given to us so that we may put to death the deeds of the body. But in talking to to many of you and even knowing the own testimony of my life, well, well, that's difficult, isn't it? What are you putting to death? You're putting to death your flesh. That's what Jesus was talking about, deny yourself. This is talking about the process of sanctification by which you are growing more and more into the image of Christ. Well, that's hard work. When I first became a Christian, I, I look back and, I, and I, I liken the work by which God does in us in sanctification to, to a sculptor taking a, a tree and he's going to make a great sculpture out of it. Well, the first part is just taking the axe and chopping that bark off. And it is, it is big blows of chunks of wood is coming off. Once the, the bark is gone, then he, he moves to his chisel. And well, that's painful. That work that the Lord is doing, who's refining us, well, that's, that's trouble for us. That is putting the deeds of the flesh to death. That camp comes with great difficulty and great struggle and sacrifice. If you're walking according to the Spirit, pursuing Christ, you know and you feel the, the war that is being waged against your soul that, that sin continually assails you with. And I've said this many a time. Uh, Some of us have have been walking with Christ for decades, and and the more we walk with Christ, sometimes we realize, man, there's more than I ever dreamt was there. And sometimes we feel like we're worse sinners now than when we first believed. But that's not the case. It's just that we're now walking in the Spirit, and the Lord has been gracious to show us what's there so He can transform us and grow us. This battle, it, it never seems to end, does it? The temptation for us in our suffering, whether it's the, the general suffering that marks this present evil age, or it's the particular suffering that we deal with as believers as we are, are battling sin that's waging in our soul and welling up in our desires and we don't know where they're coming from. Whatever the case it may be, the temptation often for us is I give up, I'm done. I'm going to give in to this temptation because I just can't do it anymore. Or I'm just going to walk away from the faith. Or I just need time by myself. And really, what we're doing in those moments is saying, I don't believe. That's what we're doing. Lord, I don't believe. Now we don't usually say it that, that overtly, but that's the struggle, isn't it? I don't believe the hope that is mine. But when we come to our text, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Brother and sister, how do we endure through suffering? How do we endure our sin? We think of 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul reminds us that no temptation has overcome you, that it is not common to man, but that God will provide a means of estate that you may endure it. Well, how do you endure? It's that you you bank on the promises of God. You counter the false lies of the flesh with the promises of God. And What we're going to see is that where Christians often fail is that they keep looking for their hope in the things of this world. I'll just set my mind on on other things, but it's not the things above. I'll deal with my struggles another way. You know what? You'll find out it's not dealing with it. You're not being preserved and kept. But the, the Spirit's work in our life is to testify that we're children of God and heirs of God. This means that we endure suffering and resist temptation by the hope of our glorious inheritance. This is what C.S. Lewis says, reflecting on these truths. Indeed, if we consider the unblemishing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Coming glory to be revealed, brothers and sisters, in greater is greater than all our suffering now. As one preacher reflected on this passage, we can measure or compare a, a thimble of water with the sea, but we cannot compare our sufferings with the glory of God. It's all beyond our comprehension. And really where I want to push us in some ways is is, is invigorate your inner child of imagination and the glory and splendor. Some of us are just downright boring and we don't see the glory and might and beauty and splendor of God and it's obvious because we're moping around like we have no hope. I hope that that changes. And in that, as we grasp this glorious inheritance, notice he doesn't deal with the sin by by talking in depth about it. No, he counters it by telling us to to think about the incomparable, insurmountable, unmeasurable glories of God. You want to find victory in your life, start delving into the great joy and blessing of knowing God as your heir, the one who has provided all things for you, and what that may mean, I hope to, to spur your mind on a little bit this morning. Maybe Put a little excitement into us, that we may get excited, and we could say, along with Paul in Romans 5, 3-5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing this, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul, for Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, is unpacking that whole phrase. If you've missed some of those sermons, we provide them free online. You can go go. them. Or you can be like Jeff Pridgen. Hey, can you just send me your sermon notes? I'll do that. It's my prayer for us this morning that we would learn to rejoice in our sufferings because they are a means by which God produces Hope in us for his glorious inheritance. And this morning, I want us to see, what is that hope? I think the reason we don't hope is because we don't really know what it is. I don't know about you, but I had this vision of heaven being this place that I can't really describe, of people just floating aimlessly in spirit bodies, and we have no purpose and anything to do. And frankly, I, I just that I sounds boring. You've heard, or even the pictures of, of even in a popular level are like, we're on... Clouds like babies sitting in diapers with wings playing harps all day. I mean, I I, I don't mind to hear someone who's gifted at it playing the harp, and maybe we will be gifted, it'll be wonderful, but that that just doesn't sound enticing. And I'd say you don't see that really as the picture that Paul lays for us here, something far greater. So this hope that we have should be expressed in two longings that are, are going to be realities for us, when Jesus returns, and, and we see these in this text, number one, it's the longing for a new creation, and number two, it's a longing for a new body, and both of these things are intertwined together. And I hope us hope to show us that this morning. So, a longing for a new creation—that is our hope. Someone tells you, "What is the hope of which you have?" I'm longing for a new creation. Now, someone will say, well, "What are you talking about?" Well, let me explain here's your chance. Listen to the sermon, write some notes, and you can give an answer for the hope that you have. I'm longing for a new creation, a new body. And Jesus tells me so. Okay? First reason: Paul does not consider that the present sufferings can compare to the coming glories because he has a hope in a new creation. And by that he means a new world free from the curse of sin. It's free. Look at what he says in verse 19. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's where we see that the creation itself is anticipating something, and it's anticipating yours and my resurrection. We're going to get to that in a moment. And this is clearly a personification. I, I don't think you can sit down and talk to a rock and say, Hey, what's your hope for today? I'm longing for a new creation. Actually, I'm longing for your, the revealing of the sons of God. You're not going to find that. But he's personifying the created world. And the point being is that the creation, this world in which we know, is going to experience glory when our glory is revealed. When who we truly are, what the gospel says about us, the sons and daughters of God, is revealed and we're freed, the creation's going to be freed as well. And the picture here is, is, is quite inviting picture here is of the creation on its tiptoes looking intently anticipating for what's going to happen think about my children you know recently on Christmas my, my youngest son is on tiptoes peeking around the corner to see all the presents anticipating that day to come that's what he says the scriptures or the creation is like it's on tiptoe longing for this And why is the creation longing for glory? We see in the next verse that it's longing to be freed from the futility that it's been subjected to. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 where God subjected the creation to the curse because of the sin of Adam and Eve. That's what it's talking about. The creation wasn't a part of that. The tree didn't dangle itself over and said, take me, eat me. It doesn't do that. Adam and Eve sinned. And because of their sin, there was great consequence to this earth. And I want you to listen, or you can turn there to Genesis chapter 3. It's the first book of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, listen to what the Lord says to Adam as he speaks curses upon the earth because of sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Listen, cursed is the ground because of you. And pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall be brought forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We can't imagine what a, a world that is not Filled with the curses. Like I can't imagine a rose bush without thorns. I can't imagine a yard without weeds. I can't imagine a yard that doesn't need to be cut. I can't imagine working and it not being somewhat painful. Well, all this goes back to the curse of sin which is upon this world. This world doesn't work the way it was intended. It's not completely broken by God's grace, but it's subject to the curse of sin. And so the things that we do come with great difficulty. I'm often surprised, and I'm sympathetic as well because I suffer from this. All of us do. But we're often surprised when things don't work out right. I planned and I hoped for this, and it didn't, didn't happen the way I expected And we get mad at God, or we get jealous of others. But what we're forgetting is, is this exactly what God said it happened? Yes, sin is awful. It messes up everything, including this world in which we live. And the hope is, is that this world's going to be redeemed. That's our hope. However, as we read in verse 20... The reason God subjected the creation to the curse, you see this? Go back to Romans 8. There's a purpose behind it. And this is what Paul's going to pick up for us. God subjected the creation to the curse of sin. Why? In hope, verse 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, there it is again. Creation's longing for the revealing of the sons of God, and it's going to be freed from the corruption and the, share the freedom of the children of God. So you and my, I, our resurrection that we hope for is actually going to be a resurrection of the whole earth. You all know that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. That new creation, we, we some, some translations do you're a new creature, and that's true, but new creation is a better image because you're just, you and I, if we we're believers, we're the seeds of the hope of the, of the new creation to come. On which the whole earth is going to be resurrected. Well, what's it going to look like? How's this going to come about? Well, I want to look at just a couple of passages. I want us to go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you're unfamiliar where 2 Peter is, you just keep going to your right. And you're going to go towards the book of Revelation, but you're going to hit Hebrews, James, and then you're going to hit 1 Peter, 2 Peter. You come to first, or 2 Peter chapter 3, and Peter is stirring up the believers by way of reminder to put their hope in the coming of the Lord. And in verses 3 through 4, he, he, he acknowledges that, that scoffers are going to come. There's going to be people who are going to say, it's been over 2,000 years. I don't think Jesus is coming back. He says, you expect that. There's always been people And there always will be people who do not believe this is going to happen. Nevertheless, he likens it to something in in verses 5 through 7. Look at this. This is what the scoffers overlook. They don't know history. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago when the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the flood of Noah. They forget, this is exactly what happened in Noah's day. It was a little bit shorter of time, 120 years. But Noah's in a desert building an ark for a flood. Like, dude, come on, man, you're crazy. And it was just him, and his family, at least we've got us a little bit more people to to sympathize with, right? Hey, we're crazy together, right? But this, whoever that was, amen, that's right. That's a wall child, all right. (laughs) But he says it's going to be like the days of Noah. It's like the days of Noah, which was a new creation after the flood, wasn't it? God destroyed the whole earth by flood, but what was it like? It was a new creation. It was grass and birds and it was physical. Well, what, what is God waiting for? Peter says verses 8 through 10, and He's waiting for all to come to repentance. Don't overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a, and a thousand years is one day. I mean, our timing of things, we're, we're bound creatures I mean, in the Lord's eyes, it's only been a couple of days. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But then he describes what's this going to be like. It's not going to be a destruction by water, but by fire. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, it's going to be unexpected. No one knows the day the thief is going to rob your house going to be like a thief and then the heavens will pass away think of the sky with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed it's going to be a great fire burning up of all the heavens and the earth so what should we be doing we should verse 11 since all these things are thus to be dissolved what sort of people ought you to be live lives of holiness and godliness, waiting, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But notice what he says here. But according to this promise, we are waiting for what? A new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Unlike the flood... Which after Noah came out, we we see very shortly that he, just like Adam, becomes naked and ashamed. He falls into sin. But after this new creation, that will not be a problem. Because fire will burn it all out. It will be exposed for what it is. And in this new heaven and new earth, which is likened to the earth we now know, There will be a sky, there will be an earth, a creation, a place to walk on and explore and see. Except the difference is, this one's going to be where righteousness dwells. This is what Paul's talking about, where the creation is going to be freed from the corruption and futility that it's been subjected to. We saw this in in Pastor Mike's reading in Revelation 21. Let's turn there, last book of the Bible. This is what John's talking about. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So this earth by which we know it is, is going to be no longer. But it's going to be resurrected. In the same way, if you were in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. The old things, all things are new. So just as your body, which is going to be resurrected out of the grave, and it will be your body, it will just be a transformed body, this will be our earth. It'll just be a transformed earth. You see that? There's continuity there, and that that should begin to give us hope. So the good things that are still left in this world, oh, they're going to even be better. Now you can get a glimpse of the hope of the glory of God, even though you can't compare it you don't know how to weigh it. There's a new Jerusalem's going to come out of heaven. Just, just promises, a new city. It's going to be like a bride adorned for her husband, beautiful beyond all imagination. It doesn't mean that the city is going to look like a woman. This is symbolic language. But the, the key thing here, and, and Paul told us this, we're heirs of God. Well, what does John say? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. What does that look like? Well, the only way we can describe it is what it won't be. It won't have tears in its eyes. There will no, be, no more be death and there won't be mourning and crying or pain anymore. The former things have passed away. So imagine What is the hope of our glorious inheritance? Well, it's a new creation. What is that new creation going to be like? No more weather extremes. Eight degrees this morning. Brr. I like the snow, but I don't like the cold. I don't know if that's going to work itself out in the new creation. We can get the beauty of snow, but I can go out in my shorts and T-shirt. I don't know. But the world, you know, we like the spring right right when it's right in the middle. and It's refreshing, but it's not too cold, and it's warm, but it's not too hot. We don't like the summers when it's scorching and our tongues are stuck to the roof of our mouth, or we burn our legs on the leather seats in our car, or we can't touch the handlebar. It's miserable. No more weather extremes. No more violent instincts of animals. I'm really excited about this because I love sharks. I don't know how it's going to work out. I know there's no sea. Maybe, as John Piper says, there will be really big lakes. I, I don't know. But I, I, I do think there will be the animals, maybe the most curious animals you've seen. You, you love watching Discovery Channel, Animal Planet. I mean, I'm imagining, hey, I'm jumping on a lion, and we're riding around. I don't need a car. <laughs> or I'm getting in, and I'm playing with sharks like they're dolphins. And I'm using them as skis, and we're going. I, I don't, I don't know, but it's—they're it's, not going to eat me. No more disease and decay. You don't have to worry about eating this; it's going to make you sick. No more earthquakes, storms, or floods. We've seen a lot of the destruction just this past year. Here's, here's kind of on a more positive side freedom to explore the heights of the mountains, the depths of the earth, and the expanse of the universe. This new creation, is not just this earth, it's the heavens, the stars. And if we now, in a curse-filled earth, can, can get in a spaceship and fly to the moon, what could we do in the new creation? I don't, I don't know. That gets me excited though. Or the submarines that we build that can, can still only go so far into the depths. Maybe we we can hold our breath, and I can go down as far as I want, and I can see. I don't know, but that gets me excited. The things that can stir my emotions now that are good of God's creation. I'm just trying to imagine it without the curse, freedom to go explore it to its fullest. Have you ever bitten into a strawberry? If you like strawberries, or pick your favorite fruit. But I was, I was biting into a strawberry the other day, I was dipping it in marshmallow and uh, and uh, cream cheese. I think that's the glory of God, the blessings of God. But I'm biting into this thing, and I'm just looking at it like you can't make this. I can make the marshmallow, dip, but I can't make the, the, the strawberry, and it's, it's perfect. But yet it's not. There's going to be something better. And so you can begin to understand what it means to eat and drink to the glory of God because you're eating and drinking and hope, man, this, this Coke was great, but whatever I'm going to be having in glory is going to be way better. Or, when I'm suffering, and I'm groaning, as Paul says here, the creation groans. That's the floods, that's the tornadoes, that's the earthquakes, that's the extremities in our temperatures. When I'm feeling those groanings, I know that as bad as it gets here, it doesn't compare. That's where you come in with the promises of hope. Notice that if this is true for the creation, this is also true for me, because the creation is waiting for my redemption. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, which is the redemption of our bodies. Are you waiting for the redemption of your body? you groan? Do you long? Do you feel the curse? I know you do. At some level, you feel it. That's the sufferings you experience. And, and just as this creation was subject to futility, but that futility was to cause the creation to anticipate its redemption, its resurrection. So God has purposed his sufferings in your life so that you would be on tiptoe so that you would be waiting with eager expectation for your adoption, for the revealing of the sons of God, for your resurrection. It's interesting here that he says here in verse 23 that we're awaiting adoption, but what did we see last Sunday? Look in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. How's that work? I thought I was already adopted last Sunday. But now I'm awaiting my adoption. Well, this is where we're living in between the times. Between Jesus' first coming and resurrection and his second coming. I think of the Weavers. Most of you know our facility director Nick Weaver and his wife Whitney and who've been with us. They've been on a long journey in adoption. And there have been seasons and points by which It was sure, but yet the kids weren't here, right? They had the paper signed. In fact, they were even in Ethiopia, and everything is done, but you can't go home yet. And I think about their children, Solomon and Evie. This kind of reminds me of that quote from C.S. Lewis. They they have no concept for the glories and the blessings that are going to come. And we're like that. We, 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 We would rather eat the mud pies of this world and we have no clue that our Heavenly Father is taking us to a place we cannot even compare of the glories. But it's sure, the adoption papers have been signed, we've been transferred over, we just haven't been brought home yet. We're waiting for this redemption our bodies. Pastor Mike was uh, referencing and praying through many of our families and one of the families he mentioned were the Breedens. If you've been here um, over a few years, you know the Breedens. If you haven't been here in the last couple of years, you might not know the Breedens just because they've been plagued with severe health issues. They're in their late 30s, early 40s. Um, Sarah's been diagnosed with a, a disease that's attacking her spine and is gonna probably leave her A wheelchair when it deteriorates, and the medicine that she's taking is just to slow it down, but it will give her cancer. Their youngest son Jacob has been diagnosed with Crohn's disease as a as a 13-year-old boy, and there's just been trial after trial after trial, and then this week David's father unexpectedly dies, and I reached out to them this week, and I was talking with Sarah and. She sent me this text, I asked for permission to share it with you, but I want you to hear the groaning, and then I want you to hear the hope, because I can't preach it any better. This is a real-life example. I asked her, how how are you all doing, considering the circumstances? And she said, Chase, I, I feel like we're drowning right now. I know things will start to settle down. I've been off work for a little bit now, just trying to get everything settled. Jacob now has a large kidney stone on top of everything. We're waiting to get into to see another specialist. And I just found out yesterday that I have a tumor and I will need a hysterectomy. And then the unexpected news of David's dad. You hear the groaning? It's one thing after another. When's this going to stop? Here's the hope. It says, in the midst of everything, God has been so good and gracious. In every instance, there has always been a glimmer of hope. I keep reflecting on how this has been the way God has worked from the beginning. And that's been what I keep holding on to. God's glory shines the brightest in the darkest moments. If anything, it's cultivated a deeper longing for the return of Jesus. I got this text as I'm preparing this sermon. It's like, Lord, this is scratch any illustration I got. Yours are the best. This is what it looks like to hope and groaning and I know that's many of you. I've heard it from you. It just happened this week. I got an illustration literally plopped in my lap. But that's how we view our sufferings in light of the glory of God. What does it do? It it causes us to long for Christ's return. That's their purpose. That we would pry our hands off the mudslop. The things of this world, things that can never satisfy. This is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, testifying to our Spirit that we are children of God. Therefore, we are to be longing on our tiptoes, aren't we? To see what the gospel has declared. To be true of us. To see that I really am a child of God. None of us have anything written on our head but, or shi- shining of glory or anything. We're, we're just believing a message that has been spoken to us. One day, the whole world will know who the children of God are. And we will know who the children of God are. We, we will not only have the subjective experience of the Spirit, we'll now objectively see Him, our heir. So this is what I want to leave us with this morning as we close. Do not put your hope or set your joy on the things that are seen. Things that are temporary, things that are transient. This world is passing away. But set your mind, set your heart, set your joy, set your affections on the resurrection and the new creation which is eternal. This is why the the writers can say this light and momentary affliction doesn't feel so light to us right now, does it? But in light of eternity, it's a a blip. It's a blip. What are you banking on? What are you banking your treasure on? What are you investing in? Things of this world or the world to come? You're also to encourage one another with the hope of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I sometimes hear somebody say, I don't don't know what to say to somebody when they're hurting. I I don't know what to do. Now you do. Go to Romans 8, and you begin to open up these passages. I've got two points, new creation, new body. Can you remember that? And we're going to look at next week, God's working all things in this world, including our suffering for ultimate good, which is our new body, new creation. That's what it is. And we can hope in that. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint And you can encourage one another with these words. When Jesus comes back, this body that is bringing you so much heartache and decay is going to be liberated. So we view our sufferings through the lens of redemption. And then we pray in this life. We pray according to the Spirit, who Paul says in verse 26 helps us in our weakness. And that's where we're going to pick up next Sunday. In this passage, we've seen the creation groans and we've seen that we groan, but Paul's going to say the Holy Spirit groans and intercedes on our behalf and prays for us in ways that we don't know how to pray. And we're going to see just specifically how God in his providence and in his goodness and love for us preserves us. And the work that he began in us, he's going to complete. And everything in between is being orchestrated to bring about yours and my redemption. The adoption of our bodies. And that is the hope that we have. And that's the hope that I want to extend to you as I know that we are suffering in in various capacities. Lift your eyes up and see him there. Your righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer for us is that you give us a spirit of wisdom and knowledge. of Christ that we may be able to comprehend the glorious inheritance which is ours among the saints. That we may grasp the greatness of your power. Lord, preserve us. Comfort us with the good news of the gospel that just as Christ died and suffered and was buried but was raised so that we too Though we suffer, we'll be raised. We'll be raised to newness of life. And our greatest hopes and our greatest desires and our greatest longings will be satisfied in you. Remind us of these truths until our dying breath, or until you return. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.